Hey buddies, welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, and I am recording this uh, little extra opening for episode 28, Cries of Pleasure, um, which uh, is a very awesome Jess Franco film, and uh, we're doing this as an extra episode and releasing it on April 2nd, uh, which is to uh, commemorate the passing of uh, Mr. Jesus, Jess Franco Manera. Uh, he had passed on April 2nd of 2013, which uh, now is the eight-year anniversary of his passing. Um, he's an amazing filmmaker, as we all know, and he's somebody that definitely has a style and is written off by a lot of people, but the more you observe his work and watch the output of what he's done, he's really quite amazing. Um, anybody that shoots or anybody that shoots or had shot approximately anywhere from six to, you know, 14, 15 plus films a year over certain years is definitely amazing. You know, uh, I was just looking over what he was doing and he was like in 68, 69 all that stuff. He was doing like six films a year average. And then like in the seventies, he started going up to like eight and 10, 12 and some years at 14 and in the eighties with the video stuff like 84, 85, he was doing like 14, 15 a year shooting a lot of stuff. And then of course releasing it over the next few years, but still that's, that's like amazing creative output and just nonstop filming. Whether you agree with the quality of certain works or not, still any artist, any filmmaker, any singer, dancer, uh, painter, anything, anybody that puts any output of anything, uh, athlete, whatever. Um, they have up years and down years, good games, bad games, good films, bad films, good songs, bad songs, albums, etc. You know how it goes, but he's really an amazing dude. And, uh, somebody that I'm so happy that I decided to do a podcast about because, um, this podcast reaches so many places, 26 countries. Now I've met some really cool people on the internet, um, from this podcast have reached out to me and I've shared correspondence with uh, other Franco collectors. And it's really good that somebody that has uh, passed away, people still talk about daily, hourly. Um, we have the Jess Franco Friday that everybody does on Instagram. It's a huge hit. Um, he's still trending, you know, this eight years after his death. And he's probably more popular than ever before. Um, so, yeah. And hopefully we have new Franco films on the horizon on Blu-ray. Um, hopefully we have unreleased Franco films that will be discovered in vaults, places we want to see. We want to see Julieta. We want to see, uh, Sex Charade. There's a lot of other stuff that definitely would be awesome to see come to the light of day someday. Who knows? We'll see how this goes. But yeah, um, once again, April 2nd, 2013 was his passing. And on this, we always, uh, our mission statement is praise and in memory of Jess Franco, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. And we have done that, and we'll continue to do that. Um, I myself um, have a, am a filmmaker as well, and Jess Franco has inspired me to uh, jump back into it again, like really full force. And I have about 14 to 20 films that I'm writing and have written and am in various stages of pre-production and in... Uh, stages of writing and everything that um, I'm going to do the Jess Franco routine myself and see how many I can do in a year. I used to do one film a year, maybe two, but uh, I want to do like at least three to six to nine or something like that. We'll see how it goes. 
But yeah, if I could do at least three, I'm awesome. If I could do six, I'm better. If I could do nine, that's even better. We'll see how many I can do. But uh, yeah, I recently quit my job um, to devote my full time again to filmmaking. So I have this as almost like a hourglass that have turned upside down. Um, I'll probably be doing another podcast as well, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, it's going to be more, uh, not about Franco, it's going to be about me and uh, my creative process, what I'm going through, my uh, weekly updates, um, status of different projects and everything, and then along with different guests, different film reviews, uh, different subject matters, you know, kind of like a like a chat show or something, but also a uh, kind of a, um, I don't know, diary of some kind or whatever, but... Anyway, that's in the future, and uh, be on the lookout for that, and uh, we'll post links and all that stuff when that happens. So, anyways, uh, yeah, so, cries of pleasure coming up. Uh, you'll have my introduction um, talking about the film and the review with uh, Miss Colicini from Los Angeles, California via Zoom, and uh, we're both big fans of the film, and uh, yeah, his Desaad stuff is really, really good, and uh, it's inspired me to... Uh, go back and read some stuff by the Marquis de Sade and um, I plan on adapting some of that myself into a short film or feature film so um, yeah that's going to be one of the 15 to 20 projects I have planned so or at least at least two films I have planned from de Sade so we'll see how that goes but that's in the dreams but dreams become reality when you take them and make do and write them and create them so take the dreams out of your head and put them on paper adios Hello, buddies, fellow Franco fans, fans of Uncle Jess. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company. Um, as I record this episode on the weekends, uh, I've been writing uh, back to writing my scripts and been about halfway through now writing my uh, newest film. It's a giallo murder mystery type film. And uh, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. Been exciting writing it. And uh, there's a few nods to Jess Franco in this film. So, but yeah, that's why we're here today is for Mr. Jess Franco. So this is uh, episode 28. And today we um, are tackling film number 115, uh, Cries of Pleasure. Jamidos uh, de Placer. Uh, Spain, 1982. Um, Jimitos de Placier, Spanish theatrical title, translation, Cries of Pleasure. Um, today, uh, on this one, we have a Zoom guest. Colicini is back with us again via Zoom from uh, Los Angeles, California. And, uh, yeah, we're going to record this and knock this out. I'm actually doing the uh, research and um, this part before watching the film and before uh, doing the Zoom um review kind of a backwards time doing a little bit different this time want to knock this out and uh edit it and get it all together and all that good stuff let's see so on this one um like i said before it's cries of pleasure um production company on this one was golden films international out of barcelona this is when he goes back and does the golden films uh series again uh theatrical distributor was lauren films essay out of spain timeline uh, shot this around uh, October 82, and uh, it got its certificate in November of 82, and it played in Seville in April 16th, 1983, played Barcelona July 18th, 83, 
played Madrid in September 23rd of 1983, and then finally Murcia on January 30th, 1984. Theatrical running time, Spain, 86 minutes. Uh, Writer-director, Mr. Jess Franco. Director of photography, Juan Soler Cozar. Music, Daniel White as Pablo Vila and Jess Franco. Uh, Lab is Photo Film Madrid essay. Uh, let's see, uncredited camera operator, Jess Franco, production manager, Antonio Mayans. He is cool. He did a lot of, uh, on all the films he acted in, he was also production manager to save money, and uh, that way it was easier for the credits and cast and everything. But yeah, he was uncredited. He was the production manager on this. Editor, of course, Jess Franco. Executive producer, Stella Laraga and Emilio Laraga. Cast. This is only five people in this cast. It's very minimal. Uh, cast Antonio Mayans as Robert Foster. He plays Antonio. Lena Romay plays Julia. Rocchio Faraxias plays... I'm sorry. Rocio Faraxias plays Martina. Alisa Villa as Jasmina Bell plays Marta. And finally, Juan Soler Cozar as Juan Cozar. So yeah, the uh, that's cool. He the director of photography is also in this as Fino. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. This is uh, we watched the um, Severin Blu-ray, the Cries of Pleasure, that came out uh, actually not that long ago, just like last year, I believe, 2020. Yeah, they put it out finally on Blu-ray, um, with all the good extras and all that good stuff. Um, this film is really interesting because um, I'm going to go over it. It only had basically a cast of five people. It's a single location. Uh, it consists of fewer than 50 shots, actually 45 shots in the whole film. 12 extremely long shots with no edits, just zooms in and outs, pannings, and then 33 shorter shots placed in between. Um, the uh, There's like a one, minute, one shot that's like seven minutes long, another shot that's like six minutes long. Um, without any cuts, kind of like Rope, the old Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, it's very, very minimal in that aspect. It's a uh, kind of a cool concept, um, but yeah, the entire film consists of fewer than fifty shots, massively fewer than average for a ninety-minute feature. Um, it really shows off Franco's style and the limits he has to put himself under. He, if he has less and less cuts, he has to basically keep your eyes and keep your attentions without cutting away so that makes him uh, break up the action of the thing by following the actors panning zooming in and out um, movement frame almost like a rhythm so you, you see the rhythm of Jess quite a bit in this film um, it's intriguing to see how Franco deals with this chosen restriction for instance less cutting means there are limits to where the camera can move if he's avoid casting shadows with so few edits there's no chance to move the lights which have to be set in place at the start of the shot. Uh, physical location of his camera in the room remains fixed with movements created instead of zooming or panning left to right, back and forth, up and down in various combinations. Uh, this is a stenuous, mesmerizing film that can flourish within such constraints. It's quite remarkable and displays Franco's style in its purest, most accomplished form. From the very first shot, the technique pays off. A slow zoom reveals a man playing guitar by an open-air swimming pool perched on a fence overlooking the beautiful seaside resort of Alicante. As the camera zooms out, we see another man floating face down in the pool. shot lasts about two and a half minutes and is followed by another of similar length in which Antonio arrives home with his mistress Julia to be greeted by Marta, the family maid. 
The process of getting Julia indoors while Antonio wanders by the pool, tormenting his mute servant's phone, makes full use of the film's formal concept as the comings and goings are conveyed by a relentlessly panning and peering camera, taking in architecture and the magnificent villa and exploring the spatial relationships between the characters. Each shot offers new challenges, whether dialogue scenes and rooms partitioned by windows and interior doors, or sex scenes taking place in semi-darkness. Oh, let's see. Um, yeah, this is, I'm taking from, of course, Flowers of, Perver- Flowers of Perversion by Stephen Thrower. Uh, he comments um, that, uh, yeah, there's not really a lot of uh, gore in this film. It's very minimal, like Franco likes to do. Um, the horror of is subtle, but not entirely due to the outburst of sadism or sexual frenzy. It's more to do with the emptiness that lurks behind the rarefied pleasures of sex crime. The moral of the story is that pleasure-seeking immorality brings forth loneliness under the guise of total freedom. Lust and violence in Franco cinema are haunted by a void which demands even more acts of obedience. The insatiable urge to fuck, to torture, to kill, turns out to be a nightmare for the perpetrator too. Meanwhile, pleasure shades into paroxysms indistinguishable from sickness. Love, loyalty, friendship, trust, are qualities surrendered and lost. This is the theme picked up from Cries of Pleasure, in which a murderer learns that love between sadists is an illusion, that greater pleasure comes from betrayal. With this in mind, as the credits roll, the outlook for the survivors is grim. Franco on screen. Franco does not appear on screen, but he dubs the simple-minded manservant Finnell. Uh, music. The vast majority of Cries of Pleasure, wonderful score, is drawn from Daniel White's excellent library LP, Mystery Blue. The opening credits feature the somber and mysterious solo string bass piece called Basse Profonde. Rome descends an outdoor spiral staircase to the strains of Bonjour Tinderesse. She suffers a seizure in the night to Plume Sibargen. A nocturnal threesome unfolds to the accompaniment of Fantomes Chari. Fennel discovers a corpse as we hear Du Fond de Until Prison, and a less than cheerful lesbian clinch gains additional pathos from Quartier a Woman. Along with Macumba Sexual, it's one of the most exciting total sound experiences in Franco cinema. Locations. The villa, which is sometimes reported to have belonged to the film's executive producer but was actually hired just for the shoot, is located in Calpi near Alicante. It looks directly across from the bay toward the Pinon de Ifash. Connections. To what extent is it true to say that this is based on a story by the Marquis de Sade? While the overall situation has echoes of Sade, there is no specific story from which the narrative is derived. As noted, it's actually a variation on Franco's earlier Sade-inspired tale, Plaisir et toi, a distillation of derivation resulting in something more personal. Um, okay, so that I'm going to wrap up this part. It's going to be a shorter beginning because I'm sure the review part will be a little bit longer. Um, uh, our mission statement, of course, is praise and memory of Jess Franco, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears, which uh, on this podcast we have definitely done that. Um, please download the episode. It increases the numbers. Uh, please rate and share on your favorite uh, listening platform. 
Um, tell all your friends, tell everybody you know about this. Even if they don't like Jess Franco or don't know who he is, this is like a cool show because it's just a show where you learn things and, you know, most things, you, that's how you know about things is by learning from them. So tell people about the show. They might like it, you know. It's pretty fun. Uh, and you learn something new. Uh, let's see, what else can you say? You can find us, um, if you want to get a hold of us, get a hold of us at francoobserver at yahoo.com. Send any emails there. Uh, always return mail and all that good stuff. Um, you can also get a hold of us on Facebook at Franco Observer Podcast, and uh, we got a page there. And you can find us on Instagram. We have a page there at Franco Observer Podcast. And then you can also uh, add me on Twitter, Jason Rudy, or anything like that. Um, what else are we going to say here? Uh, yeah, so um, off we go to Cries of Pleasure. Be seeing you. Hey, buddies, welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, and I am coming to you today from the land of pleasure, uh, where we watched episode, uh, I'm sorry, film 115, uh, Cries of Pleasure, Gemidos de Plaisir. Uh, for this episode 28, we have a special guest, uh, Zoom guest, calling from once again Los Angeles, California making her second appearance on the show, Miss Kali Sini. How are you today, Kali? I'm fabulous. Awesome, awesome. So um, you chose uh, this one, Cries of Pleasure, and I uh, really, really liked this sh- film. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm going to go into the synopsis real quick, and then we'll just like fire away, and we'll just talk about the film. All right, uh, so the synopsis. Um. Antonio brings his mistress, Julia, to stay at his luxury villa in the hills overlooking Alicante. He introduces her to Finel, his retarded manservant, and Marta, his maid. Marta reveals to Julia that she is in love with Antonio and feels jealous every time he brings a woman back to the house. Julia and Antonio make love, during which Antonio obsessively discusses his plans to murder his wife, Martina a schizophrenic nymphomaniac who's due to return from a four-year incarceration at a sanatorium later that day. He secures Julia's promise to help him commit the crime, but when Martina arrives, she swiftly exerts her own malign influence. After Antonia, Martina, and Julia get to know each other by raping and murdering Marta, and Julia sinks into drugged dislocation during the night, the stage is set for a shift in allegiances so uh i think i already know the answer but Kali, what did you think about the film i i I think it's like a cornerstone kind of thing for jess i think that this was a big um I, i think this meant a lot to him i think he did this rather cleverly and i think there's um i i don't know i i think that there yeah um i mean I'll I'll stop myself there for now. (laughs) Well, um, what's cool, I mean, the main thing about this film, it's like the film Rope, where there's uh, very minimal. It basically consists of fewer than 50 shots. There's uh, 45 shots in this film. Uh, There's basically 12 extremely long shots and 33 uh, placed in between, 33 uh, small shots. So he basically 
would concentrate. And that was his, um, that was his limiter where he basically put that limit on himself and then worked within those confines where basically, so he did a lot of the zoom in and zoom out and then panning around the scene and he wouldn't cut to the next scene. He would leave those long takes. So it was really almost because it makes me think that what he was doing was even more clever. That's really cool. Yeah. And that's really cool. For the way that he shot it and the way he panned were as if he was showing, not telling what the movie was about. And so it's really cool that he had that long game going in that. Yeah. So if you go back and watch it after, you know, watching it first or twice for enjoyment and then going back and just like watching it as like an assignment or something, like go back and just count how many, shots there are in the film and you'll see there's like 45 shots in the thing which is really cool because i kept that in mind while watching it and he uses bodies of waters to cut between the shots of like say lena and them in the chair and the couples and that he'll do take one thing and just go all around the room and show and zoom in and zoom out and you know go around and show the different things and then then cut to the short thing and show a little bit and then go on to the next thing but uh yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, so that I mean, so so then he got to use his style of basically a, a lot of the handheld and the panning to mix up the scene. And what's cool too is this film has a cast of only five people and one single location, and so that's an even tighter budget with that. So it's cool. And one of the five, the mute servant, is the director of photography, um, and so that's basically you know four. And Antonio Mayans was always the production manager. So that was always, you know, so you have basically five people doing seven jobs. And Frank was the cinematographer? Um, the, um, the mute manservant, the guy that played the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. The guitar that. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, because well, he narrates the whole thing. He's like the, well, no, like the, the watcher, so that'd be cool that he was... Also, the actual cameraman. Well, that's just Franco narrating. That's, but he's he's speaking for the. Um, yeah, that's cool. it's his voice because he's the mute handyman in the scenes. He's like, and he does that. But when he's narrating, that's just Franco's voice. Because in the beginning, I started laughing because I could totally hear it. You know, when they were night, nice, and he's totally just Franco's <laughs> doing the thing. I was like, all right, Jess, you know, because Jess likes to put himself in every film if he can, you know, even if he's yeah, doing he's the voice of a parrot. The, the point of view of the of the guitarist so it, it that's kind of cool i don't know. yeah that's super cool i love that they work together like that it's rad yeah and it's cool <laughs> like watching the film it's and then uh i mean this episode is gonna have spoilers in it and i'm gonna try to not be totally in great detail but you kind of kind of have to talk about the film but so here's one quick spoiler I like that how the film started and ended on the same kind of scene, you know, the guy playing the guitar with the body floating in the pool kind yeah. of starts that way. And it ends that way. Yeah. Which isn't really a spoiler because they do that all the times in films where they tell you the end and then it's like, well, how did we get here? Right. Right. <laughs> really the story. It's not the, you know, cause you already know the outcome, but yeah, Almost like it, a it, film to war kind of deal. Like, you know, like a, right. Hollywood Boulevard or something like that, or, you know, the body floating in the pool and here's what happened and blah, blah, blah. And this was a bad person and here's what they did to get here, you know, and, and that type of deal. But, um, but yeah, so there was that. Um, let's see what else. Uh, so, yeah, so basically it's kind of cool. Um, 
the theme of this is basically sex is all Antonio cares about. And he found two women who share his vision. That was kind of his thing where he brings, you know, and he, he basically, right when he comes home with his mistress, um, Lena Romay, and they come to his place, you automatically are introduced to his maid, who was, I found the most attractive <laughs> of all the women. I was like, totally gaga over her. I was like, holy really? shit. Huh. She's so beautiful. But it's kind of weird you find out like how creepy he was and that he raped her when she was 12 years old and that she loved him ever since, you know? Yeah. I am a slave. Like that's, that was the most amazing. And, and Lena's like, thank you for that speech. I did not ask for. That was, that was a, a confessional. I didn't ask for it. That was hilarious. Yeah. Like the whole thing was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty great. <laughs> and that's almost, and as I do every episode, that's been the theme and almost every one of his films is about rape and about how, you know, the person that has that afflicted upon them by the person, they always fall in love with the person or they're always into the person afterwards. And that's almost the Jess Franco mindset that he always tries to push in a lot of his films. And I don't know. I mean, for that time, maybe that was a way, but in 2021, it's definitely, you know, not, I think, popular view, you know? Yeah. No, not at all. But I mean, I think the important thing to bring up early on and to make the point of is that, um, I mean, this is based on the Marquis de Sade's book, Philosophy in the Bedroom. And so it's like, it's also the second film of Jess's that is based on that that book. And um, Eugenie being the other one, which is like my second favorite Franco. So, I mean... it's really cool that like, I mean, he's basically kind of the whole point of cries of pleasure, right? The whole title and everything is, is he's trying to kind of break down that whole, you know, Marquis de Sade's like philosophy, you know, of, of, uh, of, you know, you can't have pleasure without pain that they're inextricable. And I, I should just say that I think that the most clever shot when I was saying earlier that, you know, the, um, the whole phrase, when you, you were talking about how long the camera will stay on, a, uh, you know, a, the cool part that I liked was that when Lena and, um, uh, or sorry, so Lena and the, well, actually we should do this linearly, right? Like, I kind of, I kind of go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess we could just say that, you know, Lena um, uh, and him hook up. We should discuss that first. But then the next yeah. scene, I, I think, was like the amazing point that he just did without having – he showed it instead of tell, told it, and I loved that. I totally sound like I'm rambling, but I swear I'm trying to make a point, but I can't because we no. have to talk about Well, Lena. going back to the Marquita saw what you're talking about, yeah, because he did um, Eugenie and uh, Justine. Like mm-hmm. back in the '60s, that was his first kind of like a um, Marquis de Sade films, and then um, this is actually kind of a remake of um, How to Seduce a Virgin, which he did before this, and it's the same kind of concept about the woman coming home from the sanitarium and kind of inflicting her torture onto other people, but it's a more stripped down version of that concept, and that was a kind of and this is a Marquis de Sade more based in concept than a specific story. But a lot of the touches and the themes and the and the concept of the begging and and the and the bourgeois and the killing people and the things like that are of a more more of a Marquis de Sade theme and 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 you know overall theme than a specific story like it's based on a, a certain one you know 
Right. I mean, there's there's no murder in philosophy in the bedroom, which is rare for Dasad. But in this one, there is murder. So, but at the beginning of the film, he says that it says in the in the credits, you know, that, that yeah. But that's more of a extra touch. That's more of a that's more of a prestige he puts on the film, like an extra little gloss, like an extra ribbon to kind of sell it. I mean, I think there is a, a genuine point there. I mean, the whole just the title "Cries of Pleasure," like oh yeah, the whole point to it is is the the duality that they're going for of of the pleasure and pain it's like his he's basically doing a little manifesto on kink you know yeah it's almost like saying something's based on um um hp lovecraft or or the marquita sod or something and just having one character or having a theme or having part of a story or something and then making your own stuff around that idea as well and that's kind of and and that was done a lot too like saying the 60s, you know, based on a Edgar Allan Poe, and they really weren't Poe films, but they had two or three things that were kind of Poe in them, you know, like right, the Corman 60s stuff. It's Lovecrafty, and this is Desadian or what have you. But yeah, that's totally, I, I mean, I, I just definitely think that he's trying to channel that. Like, yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. And you can definitely see it, so it's cool to watch him go through it. But um, yeah, so like, um, so for me, um, I'm going to kind of go over my uh, a Franco list that I always talk about in each film because this because fi- this film basically starts off like majorly um, where number one um, body of water this film starts off with a body of water and then it goes into uh, sailboats and then it goes into boats and then number ten excessive zooms and out of focus shots so like right in the beginning I was watching it with my trusty little uh, Franco list and I saw those quite a bit. Um, there's no palm trees in this. There's no jungle sound effects. Um, there finally is a chained up person at the very end, which I was kind of cool at. I was like, hey, there's the chained up person I was looking for. Um, there's plenty of bush. Yeah, plenty of bush. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's no dance scenes on stage or stripping. Well, they're stripping. Uh, no, no club scenes or dancing. Uh, not really jazz music, but there's a lot of cool guitar music. Um, of course, excessive zooms, out of focus shots, definitely those. Uh, mirror shots, none of those. Uh, mind control theme, yeah, I definitely thought there was a mind control theme with the champagne drinking that and kind of because Lena was really like shaking and stuff. And, and we'll talk about that as, as you go through the through the film. But there's, I think, the mind control that was where they had all the pink liquid in the the, gla- the wine glasses. Yeah, that was just like I could have just lingered on that. It was the, he did linger on it for a long time. It was so lovely. Yeah, because the maid said I. Made it. I prepared the cocktails like it was a certain ritual that they did quite a bit. Um, and uh, let's see, um, uh, magic tongue scenes. Yes, there was definitely, um, especially um, Lena's magic tongue. There was some nice Lena's tongue on the nipples after a while. I finally got to see that. Um, <laughs> no, no red light, no sheepskin, no masturbation with a sea item, uh, no mad scientist, no fish tank shots in this. No talking parrots, but there was end credits that said Finn at the end, which is pretty rare for a Jess Franco film. A lot of his films just kind of end What's abruptly. What's masturbation with cries of pleasure? That's true. Cries of pleasure. Hey, very good. Hey, well, maybe this was saved after all. <laughs> good, good job. Um, okay, so now back to the film. So, yeah, um, one thing that I noticed was cool, like how it started off with the guy playing the guitar and I had just watched um, Wicked Women and done an episode on that. 
And there's a cool scene that I had remarked about that I kept thinking about. And it's kind of a theme that Franco likes to use where, and if you're a guy and it's really good advice, it's just to like, if you're in a scene of like two beautiful naked women, just hang out. Don't climb on board or try to like jump in or look or act creepy. And like, like in that, when Lena was with Monica swim and the guy comes in and just plays the guitar and steps over him and plays. And in this, the guy was just playing his guitar and the naked women and he would go in and just play and just watch. And, you know, and he, and he said, even with Franco's voiceover later, which made me think it was Franco. He goes, well, they pretend like, I don't know what's going on, but I still watch and I still see. And it was almost like him being a director, being a voyeur. He's like, well, they don't think I'm, I'm this, but I'm still getting chills and I still get, sensations yeah. by watching this and this and that so totally. I, I thought that was kind of cool you know definitely um so um so yeah so i talked about earlier that he had raped his servant when she was 12 and that she loved him ever since um one thing that kind of bothered me was comes kind of laughing um antonio mayans slash uh, robert foster the lead of course uh who played antonio to me i kept thinking he looked like george harrison <laughs> really yeah like with his mustache and his hair from like the seventies. Got that going, yeah, totally. I can see that. Yeah, George Harrison's my favorite Beatles, so that's that's great. And then I was laughing, so I was like, "Oh, my sweet load." That's what I kept thinking about. All <laughs> Goofy. So yeah, that was that was that. Um, so yeah, there's um, uh, there was a let's see one one there was a cool shot I thought uh, about eighteen minutes thirty eight seconds in. There was a cut from where Lena was exhausted and she was kind of sitting with her legs open on the couch and you could see her bush. And then the next shot was this like mountain range with this free mountain range on top. And it cut from that to that. I thought that was a really cool cut right away. You know, Um, thought that was kind of clever. Frank always has one kind of dirty, clever little joke shot, you know, in all of his films. And that was one that I kind of caught that I, that I laughed about. Um, uh, let's see. Um, oh, yeah. And then I also I put the fringe benefits of being Antonio Mayans. It's like, you know, he wasn't probably paid a lot for this film, but like, you know, he had a lot of cool benefits of being in this film. I mean, I would do that part for free in a heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think any guy would. Yeah. But we, we should at least like discuss just the plot from, I mean, once he meets the girl, the, the maid, I mean, that's she's just a side character. But then, you know, he meets Lena. Uh, or, or, you know, he sees her, he, he grabs her or what have you. And he brought her with him to the, the house, but then he grabs her and they fuck. And um, when they do that, then he's telling her how, you know, they, he wants to kill his wife with her. And that, that's a pretty major thing we should bring up. Yeah. <laughs> that so, was a you know that and, and it's really hot how she's saying you know as they're fucking she's like tell me more and and he's talking he's saying you know martin you know the uh, you know the other woman's name while he's fucking you know julia right. and uh, and and she's like yeah and she's into it and like it's just so weird that they're like turned on thinking of i mean well it's not weird because i mean that's very disadian but like you know, they're, they're super turned on that they're going to kill this woman who they want to seduce and fuck to death first. Like they talk about how they're going to, you know, just fuck her to death. <laughs> that's how they're going to fuck. That's their plan is like, they're going to fuck her to death. And they're like having sex talking about it. It's just when I first saw that, I was like, this is amazing. Like, it was just, I don't know. Yeah. I was blown away by that scene. It was so rad. Yeah. That's cool that you saw it that way. Cause which is, 
is like is is like the totally way to see it because when I was watching it with the voiceover in the beginning and that scene, I was thinking of like a fifties like a film noir, like of you know how they're double crossing when the wife comes, we're going to kill the wife and you know get the inheritance and me and you are going to run away with the jewels and stuff. And and Franco uses that theme a lot of like stolen jewels or like killing somebody and and that's like a a giallo theme too, you know where they drive the wife crazy or kill the wife and steal things. Yeah, you know. But yeah, so yeah, so like Alina, of course, gets naked right away, and and they have that hot fuck scene, and uh, she's wearing that like shawl deal, and and uh, then they go off to like kind of hang out, and then the wife comes home, and then you first see her come in. Yeah, and uh, she. All the women in this are smoking hot. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Everybody is is totally good looking, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she comes in dressed in that cool thing. And she comes home from the sanitarium for, our, like, four years. So she was put away for that. In asylum because she was supposed to be schizophrenic and paranoid and all this. And then she totally seems like one of them and normal and, like, no different in any way. She doesn't have any, like, there's no glimpse of her being, like, schizo or anything. It, it's super strange how she's supposed to have just gotten out of this asylum. And she's just like, all right, let's get back to, you know, hitting it. And- yeah. <laughs> And she was put away for being a nymphomaniac, but meanwhile, he's the one fucking everybody, the maid and his mistresses and everybody else. So it's like totally double standards, you know? Yeah. I mean, probably it's one of those things where she was put away, you know, because, oh, she's a woman with loose morals and, you know. Right. In that time frame. In (laughs) Spain, you know. So, uh, but yeah, so, so then they, uh, basically have the understanding and then you start seeing that more people are in on different things. The maid kind of and her have a kind of a talk where she kind of opens her shirt up and you realize that uh, they had a thing before. And also too, the voiceover uh, guy also talks about how they killed like a, they killed a boy uh, before and they bathed in his blood and then he had to yeah. uh, uh, dispose of the body. Yeah. That's a, That was a freaky like voiceover. That, yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead. But the the so then we get to the part that I absolutely love, and that's just like when finally um, he is you know going at it with Martine, and as he's really getting into it, she's on the Emmanuel chair, you know, and he's like over there totally on her stuff, and they're they're going at it, and it's all hot and heavy, and then you hear these cries, and it's like Lena's crying, and and she's you know. You know, and she's really just like, oh, and 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 Martine stops him from kissing her and he says, "Listen to her." And it's like they're concerned that she's, you know, she's crying and she's jealous and she's so sad. And and then this camera like super slowly pans while you're still listening to these cries, and you think that Lena is just like sobbing because she's so jealous because she thought that this guy really wanted her and he's totally making out with his wife like he loves her and. And the maid told her that he loved her, and and she's you. You're all worried for Lena, but then when the camera finally hits her, she's actually orgasming because she was totally getting off on it the whole time, and those were cries of pleasure, and that's where like the pleasure and the pain coalesce into this like symphony that Jess was. I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, I see what you did there, Jess. You're genius. So. I just had to go on that rant. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, because there's uh, – so let's see. So, our, okay, so then we would get up to now. Um, 
Okay, so before that, though, I had my one of my favorite scenes was a scene of Marta made watching the threesome and um, uh, rubbing herself in the hallway, kind of sneak and watching the three of them go at it, where she was kind of left out and she was like watching them. She started rubbing herself and then she was getting into it. And then she went up to her room and then she got naked on the bed. And that leads into this next scene where she starts to rub herself. And then Antonio comes up the stairs and you see that cool shot of her where the camera's on her and that one shot. And then you kind of pans across, you kind of see down the kind of stairway and he's kind of walking up the stairs and he climbs into bed with her and starts fucking her. I thought that happened after like that, that, that happened after the, um, after the, the Martine and cause they all make out and have sex. And then like once they all are like make, they, they do that like super long make out session together. And then like, and, cause I was surprised when he went up there because I was like, he still has energy to be like doing it. Cause he just did those girls. <laughs> well, yeah, because when he goes up there that the women come up with that knife and she goes, what are you yeah. doing here? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so they, they get fun and then they murder her. Yeah. Yeah. So then you think that the that 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 Lena and and his wife are gonna kill him for cheating on them, but then they switch and then they kind of hold that woman down, and then they start killing her. And but but you really don't see the blood on her. You see a couple of little blood swaths on her throat and other stuff. But meanwhile, Lena's kind of going down on her. And that's another thing about the Marquita saw where. She says, oh, can you feel what a woman on the throes of death feels like as you're going down on her? She's kind of like exactly. uh, on the face a- of death, you know, she says. Yeah. Like Lena's actually giving her head while Martina is slashing her. Like that That was just like, whoa. Like when are you ever going to see that in another movie? And that's just Franco, like period. You're never going to see that. And like, they're not going to make that now. I don't know of any other movie where you're going to see that. That's like some special magic that only Jess does where Lena's going down on a chick while they're murdering her. (laughs) Yeah. Almost like martyrs where they have that church of trying to get somebody so scared that they put off a certain, certain fear, a certain energy just before they get so scared, they die. That was almost the same thing about, she was just so into that thing of the going down on her where she could feel this like, almost like her soul escaping her going into her or something, just some kind of a weird, you know, transference of energy or power or whatever. Yeah. And the maid is like actually weirdly kind of almost like she's into it, even though she's being murdered. She's like, well, this is going to go down. I guess I'm just going to enjoy it kind of attitude. (laughs) She's like, but she's torn about it, of course, but she's like at that exact crux of playing and plate pain and pleasure as, as, as much as you could possibly ever have in life. The moment we, right before you die to be getting head and being killed, like and well, being stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> plus the whole class structure too, with the Marquita sod of where she, she basically had a doomed life. She went to them when she was a kid and she was, you know, they were her family and she was raped when she was a kid and she stayed into that environment. So she was already kind of asking for a doomed fifth, a doomed finish or a doomed finale, you know, she could have escaped, but she wanted to be there and you know that her ending was going to be bad. And of course, when it finally happened, I think she kind of knew that that was her, that was her, that was her final, final end, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, which is a sad way, but that's kind of the whole thing where. Yeah. And it was a toy that that she was just another piece of furniture in the house. Like she had just zero (laughs) self-esteem. Yeah. And she was there to serve them, you know, she was their servant. Um, 
And then, of course, I had noticed uh, when uh, the servant was dragging her body away, she had really hard nipples when they were dragging her body away. I was like, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, that, that neck, what is it called, sets in pretty fast. That uh, <laughs> It doesn't set in fast, but whatever yeah. it's called when you stiffen up. Um, and then yeah, the the uh, drugged ki- the uh, drugged cocktail, the mind control, because you had Lena on the couch afterwards, and she was kind of writhing where she was like laying on her back and she was pushing up, kind of doing bridges. And remind me of kind of like the Exorcist, like she was doing the uh, the spider walk, but on the fucking couch, you know. Yeah, she's all doing the yoga and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then the husband and wife go in and they have sex with her, and then uh, when she finally touches her and calms her down, then then they you know do that again. Totally. Uh, and one scene I liked with that too is then, so they start going at it and, uh, and, uh, Lena starts eating Antonio's ass, uh, while he's screwing his <laughs> wife. I was like, all right, Lena, she just kind of put her head by his ass, started going down on his ass. I was like, all right, Lena, she's tonguing his ass, rimming it with her magic yeah. tongue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the perfect movie. I love that. That This is definitely one of my top just Franco. I, I just really like thinking. I don't know. I, I was really charmed that it was the same thing that like you, you've seen Eugenie, right? The the this nineteen seventy one. I know there's several, but the nineteen seventy one. The first, uh, the first one, right? First one, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. I mean, is that not one of your favorites? Or I, I, I personally just adore that one. And, and I'm gonna just, watch it again for the podcast. I mean, I watched it like 20 years ago, and I kind of liked it okay then. But I'm sure I'll like it a lot more as I go back and watch it again. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. No, that one. Yeah, like I, I love that this is like a compliment to that in a way. That, like that's supposed to be the Eugenie character's younger years, and then. I mean, I think she's supposed to fit into this somehow as far as maybe even the maid. I don't know. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's strange, but I, I don't know. I just like that, that, that he wanted to stick with that, the whole. Uh, I don't yeah, know. that whole theme, the whole feeling of it. Yeah. Um, then you had uh, what was a cool scene was there's a scene, there's a nice scene I thought of Lena in the rocking chair kind of zoned out and she starts masturbating while Antonio screws his wife on the bed after, afterwards. And, and just all that wicker furniture, I mean, the bamboo, like, I mean, uh, oh my God, like even the bamboo, like lamp, like that rocking chair, the, you know, like I said, the Emmanuel chair, like they've got, it's all just like a fantasy, like beach house. I mean, they must have, whoever went around and got all that furniture, like knew what they wanted and did such a good job. Like, I, I was like, yeah, that was well played and I, I love every shot in that it's just like oh, i want to live there well what's <laughs> cool is on the extras they talk about that and uh that place so there's a scene uh right at the end where the guy's playing the guitar if you look over your shoulder you see the red apartment complex that's in countess perversa and then oh, there's really? also the house right next to that from she killed an ecstasy oh my god that's so cool. Yeah, and you see him kind of like in the way in the background as the camera pans, you can see him in the, if you look through the windows and shit. You know, they're real small, but it's, yeah, those three locations are all in that same area. Oh, wow. That's really neat. I wonder if the Eugenie one is filmed in the same location. I guess it's a different time period, but yeah. Yeah. Ocean but yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was just that, that geographical location. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so yeah. then they go around and they have two rounds and, uh, and it's funny. So then, there's a scene where his wife climbs on top of him and Franco kind of, and you really don't see his penis that much, but then that one scene where he finally flips over on his back 
and she climbs on top of him, his wife, and starts riding him. And it almost looks like he's because like earlier in the film when he's he first fucks Lena and that he's kind of like pretends like he pulls his dick out and he's he, you really don't know if he's fucking her. They're just you know acting and that and he's behind her. He's got his pants on or this and that scene. But that scene where he's fucking his wife, where she climbs on top and he kind of adjusts her, that's the closest one because, like, Franco kind of zooms in on his balls and his dick and <laughs> really close. And you can see her pussy lips right. I was like, wow. He's like, okay, this might be pretty close of all the scenes of all the fucking. That one looks the closest to maybe not being intercourse, but they had it pretty damn close in that one. I know. Believe me, as a uh, admirer of men, I uh, always am frustrated that – there, you know, Jess is always willing to show us everything of the women, but the men, it's always like, come on, just, just give me that angle. Come on, a little something <laughs> for the ladies. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love, you know, looking at Lena and, and uh, all of her playmates, but, you know, it would be nice to have the full spectrum as long as you're representing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I actually, it seems like whenever he actually does show a penis, it's always kind of a small one. I've never seen Jess show a big penis. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about Tinto Brass and his fake ones. That's my. Yeah, favorite. yeah, I know. Yeah, usually the guys are flaccid there. That's why it's always a joke. Um, so what, uh, what I like too is there's a cool shot through the uh, door. I always call them door dingles, the like kind of door beads that hang in doors, you know. And Franco yeah. starts using that in a few of the films, and in this he has these door door beads where he shoots through those as like a layer when they're having sex. And uh, he's like, and he's so sore by this point. And Lena squats on his face first. And, uh, and after she, she squats on his face, she like climbs on, climbs on top of him. And he kind of like, ah, he kind of yells cause he's so sore, you know, and, and he's so, you know, just fucking, and she just keeps pushing it, pushing it. That was a cool Lena scene too. Cause that kind of shows Lena is just always wanting to go, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why us women are superior. Cause we don't finish during sex. <laughs> we can just keep going and keep going. Yeah. And then you see the magic tongue at the end. And uh, so this is a spoiler alert. One of my favorite scenes, and it's almost a totally decide thing, was after the two of them kill him with the chain and they're like scissoring his dead body where they were kept adjusting themselves <laughs> to rub their pussies against his dead arm <laughs> and to kind of lock hands. And they got a certain, they kept getting closer and closer. They're like, getting up against his arms and they're locking hands and just rocking back and forth. And they're finally, they're finally getting off of, on, on him, on his dead body as their final, you know, thing. And uh, right. I guess we should say for the listeners, like that we kind of skipped over that they, it turned out that they were actually in cahoots the whole time. Oh yeah. Sorry. That's the, yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you're probably talking about yeah. They were in the asylum together. It turns out, and, which is super weird. Cause like when they're first hooking up and stuff, you think it's Lena's first time licking her tit. Cause she's acting all like, Oh, well I shouldn't, I should beg. And she's like, don't beg, you know, and they have that whole thing. Right. But it's, the whole time they'd totally been boning in the, the asylum the whole time and they were like old lovers. And so they had to pretend that that was their first time. They, they hated pretending it, they complain about, but it's like, it looks pretty real. But, but anyway, the, the, so yeah, the guy, it, it, they actually wanted to kill the guy the whole time. And which is, doesn't really track as far as like what they do and stuff to kind of prove their, well, you know, killing the maid and doing stuff with him. Like, it, it's just strange, the whole thing. But, it's like, whatever, it's Franco-land. You just go with Yeah, I mean, the maid almost didn't have to die. But, like I was saying, it was almost like, it was almost her story that she had to die. That's the way it was, you know, because right. 
in the end with those two as a couple. But yeah, like you were saying too, like that's another the film noir. It's like you know the man, and the mistress, going to kill the wife, and then the mistress and the wife turn around and kill the man, and it's all been a been a whole switch and. The guy didn't know, but but also too that was the whole mindset too, which I love. Is Franco's very female positive that way, where the guy always gets screwed over at the end, and, and then the women join together and they <laughs> kind of go positive. off together and like. Hold hands. <laughs> I'm not sure that's female positive, because <laughs> it, it always is like it, it's always the woman is the crazy one, and the other woman's the killer. It's like, and then but that's like empowerment in Franco land. I don't know. It's kind of well, yeah. I mean, because the guy thinks he's the one fucking pulling the strings, but in the end, it's really the two women that pulled the strings on him. So he had no fucking power, and he was the one that thought he was the stud and was abusing people, and, and in the end, he was just left the fucking float, you know, literally float, float away, you know? Right. But I mean, you, you have to think back to like when Lena and it was, you know, on top, you know, riding him from, you know, in, was a cowgirl reverse cowgirl, whatever. And he's whispering in her ear about how, you know, he's going to kill Martine and, and, you know, they're going to kill Martine and all this, but really the whole time Lena's supposed to be thinking like, no, we're going to kill you. Ha ha. Like, right. <laughs> you know, like it's so weird. <laughs> like, yeah. Totally. Totally. Exactly. Like, thinking about like <laughs> but one thing i also totally totally liked was afterwards when the two of the when the two women were together having sex his wife was kind of looking off board like halfway through where it was like okay we got this now what you know and and she and then she got back into it but she would look away kind of just think about something else you know where it was yeah. almost the same boredom where she still had that boredom you know it doesn't matter who she was with like wherever you go there you are, you know, she, she was still the same way she was. It wasn't matter what was around her, you know, that was, yeah. her, that was her thing. Um, but it seems though how they all have that whole pursuit of pleasure at all costs, which is just kind of a dumb, you know, uh, way to live in fairness. Cause I mean, you know, if you go by that, then people get hurt and, and you, then you can't trust anyone that you're with because I mean, you know, it, obviously, you know, I was thinking, you know, like it's, it's silly that, you know, Lena would trust this guy because if he's willing to kill his own wife, then why wouldn't he turn around and do that to her one day? You know, he's killing the maid. It's like, he's totally homicidal. So you wouldn't trust someone like that. But, you know, she, then you, it turns out she shouldn't have trusted her, but then it's like, none of them can trust each other. I mean, surely like those characters are going to now go kill each other or something. <laughs> like i don't know i just think it's funny how it, it's they do play with the whole pleasure and pain thing but they never kind of address the fact that it's not actually a a way to live <laughs> yeah yeah no they, they talk I, in this book they had talked about there there was a um kind of like a moral of the thing it was um we find it it was kind of good it was uh let's see I mean, it, it, obviously, it's just a tale in the Dasadian world where there doesn't need to be, a, you know, a, a, there is no morality. And that's the whole thing. It's like the land beyond good and evil, like Nietzsche would say. But, but you know. Yeah. No, it says, uh, uh, lust and violence in Franco's cinema are haunted by an implacable void which demands even more acts of obedience. The insatiable urge to fuck, to torture, to kill turns out to be a nightmare for the perpetrator, too. Meanwhile, pleasure shades into paroxysms indistinguishable from sickness. Uh, love, loyalty, friendship, trust are qualities surrendered and lost. This is the theme picked up from Cries of Pleasure, in which a murderer learns that love between sadists is an illusion, that greater pleasure comes from betrayal. With this in mind, as a credits roll, the outlook for the survivors is grim. So yeah, so that's where they 
got their desire from is betrayal and not from love or, or anything that makes a good relationship like you're talking about love loyalty friendship you know anything positive it's it's betraying somebody is what gets them off and if you build something on betrayal it's never going to be anything you know right but yeah, yeah so that's a good thing but so what's cool too about this is um the gal that played the uh maid um elisa um vila she was in um five or six films for jess franco during this period uh the gal that played the wife uh rochio Frexas, she was in like four or five films um and then in 1982, when he made this film, he shot 13 films in 1982. That's insane. Yeah, it was like really crazy. So basically, <laughs> um, they credit 12, but I went through and counted. It was actually 13. Uh, eight of them were, from, for, were for this company, um, Golden Films. Um, but yeah, he did it. He did January, shot Black Boots, um, Leather Whips. And then in January, February, he shot The Sinister Dr. Orloff. In the summertime, he shot uh, House of Lost Women. Uh, in spring, he shot Unconfessable Orgies of Emmanuel. Uh, in spring as well, he shot House of Love Affairs, um, Mansion of the Living Dead. He shot in, in September. And in September, he shot Shadow Judoko versus Dr. Wong. In October, he shot Cries of Pleasure. Uh, in summer, he shot uh, Pop Street Blues. And then in November, he shot Fury of the Tropics. In November, he shot House of Usher. And November as well, he shot Diamonds of Kilimanjaro and um, Lillian in November 82. So, yeah, I shot 13 films in all of 82. He's one prolific man. Yeah, and, and like so I'd say out of, you know, there's at least four or five of these are really good, you know, out of the 13. So that's, that's, that's really good, you know. And this is one of the ones. I Watching this, this was the first time that I watched it. And I'd say out of the... 40 Franco films I've watched. This is probably my top five or top 10, maybe, you know, I really like this film a lot, you know, Yeah, I thought sure. it was cool. It's and the more I thought about it, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and started off, I was like, okay, maybe the first five, 10 minutes I was whatever, but then as it kicked in, I really enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, it's sexy. It's really hot. Like, you, you know, you get really involved in those characters and it's, it's, yeah, it's great. I love it. It's fun. It's a fun one. It's yeah, very, it's got good philosophy, good shots. <laughs> I like the rules. I like the minimalist shots. I like the five actors, one location, no extras, no you know, no cutaways, and and having a having a theme and trying to follow it like like Alfred Hitchcock did with Rope. That was kind of the the rule that they were following, you know, and uh, which Rope had a lot of twists and turns and double crosses and stuff. So you know, that's kind of kind of similar. So yeah, yeah, I thought it was definitely definitely cool. And people should check it out. Uh, the Severn Blu-ray is the way to go on, on that. They have some good extras, and they visit the locations where they filmed a lot of the different Franco films, and there's some good stuff on there. So, Super cool. But, uh, so, yeah, any, any closing uh, words that you want to say about this film or, or anything you want to sell this film to people? Um, I mean, just, you know, watch it. I should say, actually, the last time at the end, you asked me if I had anything going on during the apocalypse. I was like, no. But I do have something really cool going on now. All right, plug time. Yeah, plug time. Um, I mean, (laughs) it's still very in the uh, conceptualization stages, but it's really going to happen. We're dead set about it. Um, My best friend for the last decade in Los Angeles is a director, and she wants me to star in a film about me starting a sex cult. Very cool. 
Yeah. So it actually was kind of great to, to rewatch this. And then I was kind of really like kind of caught on the whole Desaad things. I was reading about that and kind of thinking about, you know, incorporating those kind of, I was thinking about the philosophies and stuff. And actually I'm sure you watched the Nexium sex cult stuff with Keith Rainier. No, I know what it is, but I haven't, I haven't watched it. It's amazing. I, I, I'm totally obsessed with like cults, but like, sex cults especially mm-hmm. and yeah and, and they're, they're actually I, I grabbed this let me just tell you this really quick quote you can edit this if it's boring but Keith said in, in the end of the documentary um, love comes not from the satiation of or the comfort it comes from the sacrifice and the pain that's how we know it when we most feel love we feel pain and the depth of pain that we feel measures that love and I don't know, I thought that was so like, just had to be plucked from Desaad. I haven't read all of Desaad's works because I'm not insane and his books are like tombs, but like, and, and they're so hard to read. Like I've tried reading him before. And I'm just like, okay, I, I, I'm not getting paid for this. But, it's, um, but that just seemed so like that whole mentality. And I'm going to have to, it's a mockumentary. So I'm going to have to fake that like and then but then look in the camera and just roll my eyes but like that's the, what i'm going to be going for so it's kind of good to brush up with all this well no that and that and that totally makes sense it's like a comedian or, or an actor or, a, or an artist you put yourself through pain in order to get love from from your work that you put out you know because you want the adoration or the thing because you lack the the love from your mother or father or just you just want love from love from from whoever you know so you put out podcasts or or movies or paintings or whatever and, and that's just kind of the same thing you you put yourself through all this pain and this shit to like get the love from it you know so that's you know so weird actually the reason that i thought of that quote is because as i was driving to go roller skate today i was listening to prince when you were mine oh yeah yeah when you, you know i love you more now than when you were mine it's like such a you know like you said you know daddy mommy issues i guess <laughs> But yeah, that's how everybody does things. Is, is, is for those. I mean, not everybody, but yeah, that's yeah, that's always a big part of it. Always to get that love, you know. That's why we do shit. So, so I, I didn't even think of that when I cued this and was saying we should watch this. But when I was once I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is totally stuff I should be thinking about. So cool stuff. And yeah, come to LA and 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 be in my movie for a, a shoot or something. Good. Well, um, is there any uh, titles or info or anything else you want to give about it or say? Or Right now, the working title is Cult Classic. Cult Classic. Very cool. Yeah. Obviously. Very nice. Okay, good. So, good, 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 good. So, yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> and right now, I'm about halfway through writing a Giallo script. So, I've been working on that this weekend. So, so rad, uh, Yeah. Yeah, doing yeah, all these twists and turns. We're gonna make it here some t- somehow, even though we're in a lockdown. But yeah, 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 for, for sure. Yeah, no, it's good. It's like, and then watching this with the twists and turns, it's cool to like study. You know, like, oh, okay, that's cool. I didn't see that coming, and so that totally helps with my writing and and doing this podcast and such. Well, too, watching Just Franco, uh, being a minimalist and shooting the way he does, I've been learning quite a bit, especially with the Dietrich series of using one location over five or six films and seeing how they dress it different. And then with this film, just having one location and, and seeing what you can do with just one location, you know, and it was pretty damn cool, you know, especially if you focus on the acting, which was key and paramount on this was the acting, the story and the sex, you know, and that was, that was the main thing that kept you entertained, you know, because there wasn't any special effects, no, no, uh, 
nothing that was bigger than life. It was all human, human-based things. So, and of course, humans are the most interesting thing. So that's what it comes down to. It's not what you got; it's what you do with it. That's right. So, all right. Well, yeah. Uh, I thank you for choosing this film to watch. Uh, this is my first time watching it, and it was very fucking cool to watch it. And definitely ranks up my list so yeah cries of pleasure check it out everyone and and in closing let's just say you can find us at uh instagram we got frank observer podcast page you got frank observer podcast page at facebook you can reach us at franco observer at yahoo.com and subscribe to the shows uh rate all that good shit tell your friends and in closing thank you all and be seeing you later